0: I remember reading that as a young kid and being like, oh man, I can't wait till I'm over. It. I can snort ants off the pavement. I can be so wasted. Mama, I got bad news.
1: Bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes. Bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to a bag too. I'm
2: just doing what I'm doing. Hello listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. A podcast providing light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's Life.org. Hey listeners, so I am in studio with our guest this week for uh, for Tuesday, Zan Gallant. He's a, he's a recovery coach. He's, he's obviously somebody who has suffered an addiction and um, risen from the ashes of addiction into the awesomeness of recovery. And uh, he's here to tell us his story. Um, full disclosure: Lisa, who you now now know quite well, I'm sure from the weekend ramble, uh, connected me with Zan and said that his story was something that maybe
0: we want to hear. So,
2: if she says that, then well, that's something we want to hear.
0: How are you doing today, Zan? Great, Chuck. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. I've checked out some of your pods, and uh, it's really good to meet you. And shout out to Lisa for connecting. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Right. I mean, if she says you're worth a you're worth a listen, then you're worth a listen.
0: Well, I hope so. <laughs>
2: So what I like to do here, Zan, is I like to just kind of jump right into it. Um, Anybody that's been in recovery for any amount of time has told this story a lot. You know how to tell your story. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pull it out of you. Um, If you just maybe start back to the first time you tried a substance, and let's start there.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, thanks. Uh, Let's see. So um, uh, first of all, a big part of my story is I'm from a really small town in the East Kootenays, uh, Sparwood, BC. Uh, The one with big truck. (laughs) It's good. Yeah, <laughs> That's what yeah. everybody says. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's what we're known for. But it's, uh, it's a small little town, uh, mining town. Um, so I had a pretty awesome upbringing there. But an important part of my story is that, you know, I, from a young age, I was already. Thinking about drinking and using drugs because, you know, I fell. this was the mid to late 80s. I fell really hard into like the hair metal scene at the time. So like Motley Crue and, <laughs> uh, you know, Skid Row and all this. decks and bracelets
2: and uh, oh, yeah, makeup like the, on men. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The music, but the attitude. And um, yeah, I used to read those heavy metal magazines all the time. And I would read these stories and be like, oh, man, like this sounds awesome. This life. They would talk about partying and like... Um, I remember at a young age, like eight years old, just reading this stuff and being like, I can't, I can't wait till I'm older. Like I'd read Ozzy Osbourne got so wasted. He was like snorting ants off the pavement. And I was like, man, I can't wait that was till a real I'm, thing. I think, I believe so. Yeah. And. I, well,
2: I, I, cause I watched the, like, the Motley Crue movie yeah, where yeah. he does that, yeah. but I didn't realize it was a real thing.
0: I right? remember like, reading that as a oh, young kid and thinking like, oh, man, I can't wait till I'm wow. over. I can snort ants off the pavement. I can be so wasted. Someday, goals. <laughs> we all need goals, right? Yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was, a, it was a, right. a foregone conclusion for me because I always thought like as soon as, you know, the, even the chicks, like I like I can't wait to get these rocker chicks and all this kind of stuff. So um, to, that was a big part of it. I always knew that I wanted to party. It was in me. And, you know, maybe having a parent that's an (laughs) alcoholic uh, kind of sets you up for that as well. But um, uh, so to answer your question, yeah, the first time, you know, I remember being in grade eight. So what are you, 13 years old, 14 years old or whatever? And me and my small town friends were like, oh, man, we got to. We got to start drinking because you get to high school. You hear these stories of the older kids. They're partying. Oh, yeah, and like, we, gotta,
2: yeah, we should have a tolerance. Yeah, to we got to so fit I
0: mean, in yeah. here. So I remember the, You know, your first. Your question is the first time uh, in our town, we had this river that ran through it with this beach called Sandy Beach. Ironically, there's no sand there. But uh, that's where the teenagers used to go party. And me and a couple of my uh, young friends, we somehow got someone to buy us booze. And I remember me and my buddy got a 26er of Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort Whiskey. was <laughs> <That's> my <laughs> and, first one too. Yeah, well, first I can't even too, smell yeah. it now. And so we went uh, we went down to this place and we lit a fire and just stood around. And we we're like, I guess we just start pounding this stuff. So I remember me yeah. and my friend, we split this 26 it, and we yeah. drank it in probably under 10 minutes, like a very short amount of time for a young young kid. And I only remember those 10 minutes, complete blackout after that. I remember jumping on the fire, like elbow smashing the fire, like trying to put on a show and all this kind of stuff and totally (laughs) blocked out. They had to drag me. I've always been a pretty bigger guy. Even back then they had to like drag me through town, wherever we were going, staying out all night, whatever. And uh, I woke up the next day and I remember thinking, I remember there was like leaves and shit in my bed. Like I'm like, what the hell happened last night? And I go downstairs and my mom's down there and she's super pissed. And she shows me my jacket and it's all burned like all the back of it, because I was jumping in this fire, right? Oh <laughs> yeah. no!
2: Elbow and I remember she was fire. super <laughs>
0: pissed, but I was like, yeah. I remember talking to my friends, and they were like, "Are you in shit?" And I'm like, "I think so," but like, we're doing this again next weekend, right? Like it was, it was like instant, like I, I can't wait to do this again. Um. So then that just became like you know what it was like. Uh, I'm not sure where you grew up, but you know, small town. We just drank and. Uh, It wasn't every weekend then, but it started, you know, as you get older, grade 10, it became like an every weekend thing. Um, Yeah. So I like to ask people, um, Zan.
2: I I always do, the first time you drank, do you remember how it made you feel? Of course, if you were blacked out drunk, I guess, maybe fast forward to the first time that you got drunk, do you remember how it made you feel? Well,
0: you know, I've always been quite outgoing, um, but it just notched that up to like, to 10, like it turned that dial, right, of... Uh, I remember the confidence, and and I've always been pretty self confident. But I remember like just the confidence to just walk into any room, do something stupid for a laugh, like talk to any girl, kind of thing. It was just kind of it just gave me this confidence. But part of what I really liked was just the identity, and this played a huge role through my entire 25 years of of quite bad addiction was just the identity of the party guy, the crazy guy, the one like, like we got to do this, like the organizer just kind of like always in pursuit of just getting as wasted as possible. But that identity of just like the guy that was really what, maybe it comes from deep, low self-esteem. I don't know what, but um, I don't know.
2: Well, my, my next question is inevitably, were you self-aware enough, but you answered that slightly differently than most people do. So at what point did you have an understanding that the, that that the the drink or the drug, I guess, was giving you that that sense of identity? Did, did you, when were you self-aware enough to really think about that?
0: Probably early on, you know, I was uh, I was a hockey player too. Uh small town uh I joke sometimes like a small town superstar, the one that like, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, could have possibly had a future, but as soon as when I started drinking so heavily and like the partying became took over, that kind of went away, which I often think about now that I'm older, but, um, sure, the, yeah. the awareness was just, um, yeah, I was self-aware about it, but I just, I just loved it. Like it was you know, getting together with your friends, like drinking, uh, we started smoking weed, I, not that young actually like in this small town like there was there wasn't much drugs available if there was i would have found them but there wasn't much available i've heard bad stories about what's going on there now that there is a bit of significant issue that's just everywhere yeah it's infiltrated um so i've heard that but um at the time like i wouldn't have even known where to find cocaine but if i could have i probably would have but uh so the the drugs came in afterwards but even throughout my life, like yes, I loved cocaine later on. Later on in life, a little too much, and I loved, you know, mollies and speed and everything. But um, it's always been the alcohol for me. Like that's always been. I did cocaine so that I yeah, could drink yeah. later and longer later on. Right? Like that was always the thing. right? <laughs> that's me too, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Then, then take us forward here. Then uh, now you're, yeah. you're a teenager. You kind of messed yeah. up the hockey thing. Where do we go um, from
0: there? Yeah, well, I moved to Vancouver uh, shortly after graduation um, with my high school sweetheart at the time, and uh, we'd continued on our life here of just, you know, drinking. We we still weren't, back then I was like quite heavy into punk rock, I still am, but like at the time, the punk rock ethos were like no hard drugs, um, not straight edge at all, because I drank and smoked weed, but it was like no hard drugs, so I didn't do any hard drugs then. Um, and, you know, you come from a really small town, you get plunked down in Vancouver, and it's like, you know, there's all of this world opened up. Thankfully, mm. we were always poor, so we didn't have money to party like I probably would have <laughs> wanted to. Like, we were fine smoking weed and drinking drinking beers with our friends and listening to music or playing in bands at the time. Where everything really took a turn for me was I moved to London, England uh, when I was 22, okay. maybe, or 23, what took you out there?
2: That's that's a curious thing at that age. Well
0: it is, yeah. And uh my sister lived there and she was a world traveler, my baby sister, who's probably my best friend okay. in the world, and she's a year younger than me, and she lived there, and she used to always say, like, come, come to come, come to London. It's amazing, it's so much fun. And I was, I had this I'm like, I don't want to go to boring old England, it's gray and no fun, and like sitting <laughs> drinking tea at four o'clock and shit. And she's like, You have no yeah. idea what's here. Yeah. All and right. this yeah. same girlfriend my high school sweetheart we had a huge blow up one night and i middle of the night i just called my sister i said i'm booking a flight so i went there to visit her i uh, went for like a month and just had the best time like we traveled we went to amsterdam we went all over the place and i just had such a good time i came back mm. broke up with my girlfriend said fuck it i'm i'm planning to move to england so uh at the time i don't know what it's like now but you were you could get if you were under 26 you could get a two-year work visa uh if you're Can- if you're a canadian okay commonwealth shit i guess yeah yeah but uh so that's what i did and so i i moved to to london and so here i am from this town of three or four thousand people uh all of a sudden plunked down in one of the world's greatest cities and biggest cities and wildest cities and um so here is when what i was saying about this desire to live this life just really exploded because uh i got a great group of friends but we were all young and you know, carefree, and we just didn't give a shit about tomorrow. We just like, life became this insane party. I ended up staying there five years because I married a girl there and my kid was born there. But uh, that's where the real drugs came in and just drinking six nights of the week all the time, like, and out of control yeah. things happening, like, just this, it was just chaos. It wasn't just like having a few drinks with your buddies. It was like, you know, I, I used <laughs> to joke, like, I would leave work on a Friday. And I'd turn up on Monday in the same clothes, hadn't showered, hadn't eaten, hadn't slept, just like eyes. You can't see if we're not, but my eyes just huge and just. Wow! Right. And that was every weekend. So
2: yeah, okay. And so then, is this when? When did you decide you're an alcoholic? You
0: know, I don't know what you were like, but I I used to joke about it all the time, like, ah, oh, I'm just an alcoholic. This is. But again, it goes back to this identity that I had, right? I didn't want anything to mess up with this this identity. So even if I thought like, oh, I need to take some time off, I'd be like, well, you know, what do my friends think then or whatever, right? So as far as, I mean, I should have known I was definitely a drug addict at this time because London was full of drugs. There's such a drug scene there, whether it's in the club scene or even just the punk rock scene there, um, there's a huge drug culture like everybody does coke I shouldn't uh, that's a huge generalization of course not but uh a large amount of young people do coke and ecstasies were like two or three pounds each like nothing like pocket change and everybody I knew there kind of sold sold ecstasy or had so we would I would pop like eight nine pills a night and just like uh yeah and just like you know, I'd be in a club and someone would be like, "Here, take these." I wouldn't even ask what they were or anything; just take them. Like could be like there was ketamine, like all kinds of shit.
2: <laughs> See, now there's something you can't do now, eh? Right, with the with the fentanyl and everything, right? I mean, it's
0: I never cared, man. I never cared what I took. I never cared. We'd be at parties; people there'd be tons of powder on the table. Wouldn't even ask what it was—ketamine, speed, coke, whatever. Just like, give me that bill, fucking Hoover, <laughs> Hoover that down, right? Yeah.
2: Well, it sounds like yeah, you would have been, you know, just a candidate for something that kind of tragedy, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I guess. Wow. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I yeah, I was uh, yeah. I was always afraid of anything pills, right? So, um, but yeah, we, yep, yeah. we we just did um, a Memorial Monday episode for um, uh, Joe 48 submitted on, on behalf of his son, Harlan, who just a few weeks ago up in, in the PA in Winnipeg or in, uh, in Manitoba, um, they bought MDMA ecstasy, right? Uh, at the bar from somebody, four of them went into the bathroom and did a line Four of them hit the floor. Right. Three oh. of them lived.
0: Oh, Joe's my son God. didn't.
2: Unfortunately, he's 30 years old. Right. Oh. Rarely experimented with drugs once in a blue moon. Right. And he's gone, oh. you know, so, it's
0: that one there's too many of these stories man there's too many i hear them i hear it and it every single time just breaks my heart a little bit more man because not only could that have easily been me i have an 18 year old son too who uh has uh i don't i hesitate to call it substance abuse issues but you know he's got he's got some issues and he's a sweetheart of a kid and he's just like I pray every day that like he gets home okay, safe okay. And, that'd be so uh, nerve-wracking these has,
2: days and that's that's got to be I can't imagine I, I can't imagine having
0: Well and he comes from the line of like I said like my my dad was an alcoholic a crazy partier not not on not drugs or anything but just like exactly like I was just like this life of the party alcoholic guy and then I became that, and we each stopped drinking at 38 years old, surprisingly. Um, but I worry about my kid. Right, he comes from this line of of people that love alcohol, yeah. and so yeah. It's, yeah. And you
2: can't experiment anymore. So it, it's funny that whole "just say no" ridiculousness that you know we went through. Mm. It says I think we're about mm-hmm. similar age, right? Um, Probably. And, well, if you went through the "just say no" campaign, right? <laughs> yeah. Right,
0: I remember yeah, it. Yeah, yeah right. it didn't have no effect on me. None,
2: none. Right, <laughs> <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on you know nothing really at the end of the day, but exactly we're kind of back to that now right and and joe's, yeah. joe's campaign you know in remembering his son is no thanks same thing we're, we're back yeah. to that but now we really have to pay attention like you know the kids pay attention right <laughs> yeah know, right? and i try to tell
0: oh. i try to tell him or other young kids it's like you know like i have the experience like but it's like you know remember 18 like did we listen to i knew
2: everything at 18 yeah
0: absolutely. i've shared right. my story with him i shared all the a lot of the crazy stuff yeah. and the, the hard yeah. drugs and everything and how it destroyed me you know Mm -hmm. internally Mm -hmm. and externally and just like and so you tell them but like at the end of the day people will only change when they when they want to right like
2: exactly right exactly and even then it's it's never uh never something to be taken for granted right we can ruin our lives 10 times and and jump right back into it you know right so
0: over and over uh, yeah yeah addiction is wild man addiction is wild yeah
2: no kidding so I don't think you've got me anywhere near your late 30s yet. What's going on there in your story, where, where we kind of picked up?
0: Well, you know, I uh, so I had my kid in London. Like I said, I was 28 years old uh, when he was born. Um, I had married uh, his mom. We're not together anymore. Um, but uh, she was a London party girl. So it was like we, uh, we were like – Gasoline and then the the and a match pretty much, and uh yeah. so yeah, she was from London, so she had tons of friends there, they all partied. I had all my own friends, so we had this merge of like all these friends, it just became this wild scene, of course, she got pregnant, so she started slowing down, and I never slowed down, so there was times when he was uh you would think that something like that uh I mean I love my kid more than anything, and you'd think something like that would, but I still was living recklessly when he was a baby like. With that comes a lot of shame, right? But you just stuff it down, stuff it down with the addiction, right? So um, we realized I wanted to come back to Canada. Uh, it had been five years in England, and I loved it, but I saw the road that I was going down, and I wanted to come back to Canada anyways. So we moved back here, moved to East Vancouver, where I had lived before, and a little bit of my heart is always in East Vancouver. Um, we, uh, Long story short, we split up when he was four, and, um, you know I've, along with uh along with drugs and alcohol uh the part of my story is just the the chasing of women so that's always been probably my but the addiction before alcohol even right so i threw myself yeah. into that life um you know serial dating sleeping around all this kind of stuff and uh ended up meeting another girl i got married again my second wife uh so Um, she was another one too. Uh, you know, I don't say anything bad about my ex-wives, but she, we were again, she was wanted to party and I wanted to party. Uh, if you asked about getting into the late thirties, this is where, so we lived, we were together about four or five years, uh, lived this, it was getting progressively worse and worse. We loved to party. We encouraged each other. We enabled each other. Uh, we were wild. Um, but shit started going badly in our relationship because of this and she had a head on her shoulders and was like we need to stop we need to slow down and we tried we tried numerous times over our four years together to like we put together 30 days and then one time we did 60 days without and at the end of that 60 days i went out so hard that like it's a miracle that i didn't die because it's like went out so hard after that but we would we knew that we had an issue you asked about whether i knew i knew that there was an issue then i distinctly remember her saying like we can't live like this and like almost begging me like we have to change and I would say to her don't you get it like this is our identity here's that identity again this is what people expect of us we were this rock and roll you know she's covered with tattoos I'm covered with tattoos we both loved like punk rock we were out all the time in Vancouver when I didn't have my kid when I had my kid we would drink at home but uh when I didn't have him because I only had him half the time we were out on the town people knew us we were just having a really good time but the hangovers got so bad, like days-long hangovers. So I started taking uh, adivans and Clonopins just to cope eh? with them. So yeah. now I'm addicted. I don't want to say addicted, but now I'm relying on, on benzos to get through these hangovers, but that never stopped us. So here I am with the identity, I would say. This is what people expect of us. This is what we do. This is who we are. And we would have these huge fights and fights, drunken, out-of-control fights. And eventually she just left. But I wasn't expecting it, and it was the first time in my life that I was like crushed. Um, I tried so hard to get her back. Um, she made up her mind. Uh, as as uh, I don't want to make a generalization, but as often women do when their mind is made up, that's like that's it. So, I tried.
2: So Flora, who um, yeah, who is my co-host on Friday episodes, and you just you okay. really think about something she said there. Let's um, uh, In her, in her case um she came on to the show with a more episode but then her husband was a public figure and um uh, got addicted to crack really bad and it decimated their lives right and Ooh. but she had said in that episode by the time you get to that a woman has tried everything by the time you're mm. leaving and there's no going back right yeah. by, 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 because they have tried so hard and and put up with so much that, mm-hmm. and it's for this, you know, to try and maintain this level of love that's just not sustainable. But, but yeah, she said exactly what you just said. When you make up your mind, it's done. And you you don't want to generalize women. God knows I'll probably get a letter over that one, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, ladies. I love you all. Well, that but just shows it, it, their strength true, right? and yeah. conviction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. But, hey, you we know, need had, them around for that very reason sometimes. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, okay.
0: Well, she had threatened to leave a few times before and would go and I would always be charming and get her back and like, you know. Make promises that whatever, and but it was just in us. It was what our relationship it started out as as being based around partying, and that's what I wanted it to be. Right when I look back now, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. This so this crushed me. It was like a knife in the heart. And I for all of my womanizing, for all of my everything, even my first wife, everything I would never really had my heart broken. Um, Not like this, anyways. Like yeah, you know, we'd break up and I'd be sad, but this was like something else and uh it threw me into this depression i was lost i was just like but i threw myself into the only thing that i knew which was womanizing uh you know the uh, the drugs and alcohol and it lasted 8 months and so 8 months i was just on this incredible terror of uh pretty much destroying myself um i didn't know what else to do uh You know, the drugs and alcohol all the time. And, you know, it's hard for me to admit, but being a shitty parent, like I love my kid more than anything. He was never neglected, but I would like take him to the movies and I would like sleep because I was so hungover and stuff. And just like, I remember being on the couch and him being like, let's go do this or whatever. And me being a later, later, later kind of thing. Um, so my life was going nowhere fast. I used to say there was just this black rain cloud. It was only raining on me and it followed me over. Tons of other shit went wrong. My house got broken into and ransacked. My car died. Like, uh, I used to drive this beat up Buick Century and like the windows were fucked up. And so when it rained so much in Vancouver that there was always like four inches of water sloshing around and I didn't ever, and I made good money. I had a, I was gainfully employed, but it never occurred to me to get shit fixed i just like this is who i was and it was all became like these metaphors of just like what are you doing with your life you're 38 years old you're a fucking mess like um and you know we talk about i always say with people with people because i talk to a lot of people about recovery and i always ask like do i need to hit a rock bottom do i need to and i always say man your rock bottom is when you stop digging the fucking hole like it you don't need to lose your house you don't need to lose everything for me i lost my wife Um, and I lost, you know, my, my pride and my dignity and everything else along there. But, um,
2: yeah, it's a pretty big, yeah, but it was
0: just, um, you know, I had a, I went on this, the part of my story is about two weeks prior to me stopping drinking. I wasn't planning on stopping drinking. Like it was always in my mind. I think I had like, was looking up like, what is AA? Where is AA? I think I walked to an AA meeting once and put my hand on the door and turned around and left because I just couldn't face it. Right. Like it was a, f- a few minutes ago you asked, like I knew I was an alcoholic at this point, like it was out of control. And um so uh a few weeks before I stopped drinking, just like two weeks or maybe even one, I met a girl uh out in a workout class actually. And she's a really cute young girl. I asked her out and she's for a drink. And she says, Oh, I, you know, I, I don't drink. And I was like, I would say it was like the record scratch in in a '80s movie, like the party scene where the record scratches, and it was like everybody stops. I was like, "Don't drink!" Like, how is that possible? You're young. You're pretty. And she's like, no, well, I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, yeah. oh, she's like, I go to AA and I've been sober eight months. And I was like, kind of curious. I said to her, like, you know, I think I've been, I think I'm drinking a bit too much myself. And she's like, well, do you want to go to a meeting? And I, was, I did the classic thing of like, no, no, I'm not that far gone. Like, I don't need a meeting. Yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> You know,
0: um, I had a vision of what AA was. And it was not something that I wanted to be a part of, right? Like I pictured like the single light bulb in a dark room with a bunch of sad old men. Like, so <laughs> she she had said this and she said, well, if you ever want to, sure. And so, you know, I didn't know. Here's the thing about recovery. I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know anybody that was in recovery. I didn't know anybody that had, uh, not anybody close to me anyways. I didn't know that you could be that you that there was a whole other life out there you know i'd meet somebody at a party sometimes and i'd be like hey why aren't you drinking they're like oh i don't drink and i'd be like what's wrong with you like it was like shocking to me right i'd turn (laughs) around and look to everybody else and be like this guy's a dud man like don't talk to this guy like i almost i feel shame about it but i look down on disdain right so i met this girl her name's jane she's an absolute sweetheart um and i had an awful weekend a completely shitty weekend like Uh, out-of-control drunkenness. I woke up. um, I'll just briefly tell the story here. I had some uh, long-lost relatives come to town, a cousin that's my age who I didn't really know. And uh, so he wanted to get together. And this was on a Friday night. And uh, my sister was here and both of us were probably hung over. And I was like, I don't know. I don't really want to party tonight. Like it's getting so out of control for me. And she's like, well, let's just go and have one drink, right? And so these are our family. We don't, so we go out to have one drink with family. My uncle was there too, and it was a really good time. But it was like, I remember that first sip of this one drink that I was going to have, and it just started chugging these pints. I remember telling the waitress this night, When you see my glass half full, just bring me another one. Like, don't even come and ask me. Like, just. Oh, well, so we ended yeah, up getting completely yeah. shit faced. My cousin, who I was like, I don't even know this guy. Like, why do I want it? It's... He ended up being amazing and awesome. But everybody's like, You two are so alike. And I was like, really? Because this guy's awesome. So if this guy's awesome, I must be awesome. So, you know, it's that classic. Maybe it runs in our bloodline, but we were having a great time. Partied all night till like three in the morning. Complete blackout again. That's another thing, Chuck. I started blacking out on the regular, like... Uh, and and oh, okay, crazy okay. crazy That's shit happening changed, so I blacked right? yeah, out and yeah. I woke up this was on like November 29th uh, of 2014 and I woke up I remember stumbling but it was a blackout and next thing you know I'm face down on, on like pretty much beside a sidewalk in East Vancouver no idea where I was no idea how I got there it had snowed a little bit so I was in snow just awful I tried to stand up kept falling down couldn't take two steps without falling down and like here I am a 38 year old dad like what the fuck kind of I could have been mugged. I could have been I could have laid there and frozen like if I hadn't have woken up. But here I am on somebody's lawn in the middle, like at three in the morning, no idea where I was. I'm looking around, like, how do I get home? I don't even know where I am. Um that, that was part of this shitty weekend. There was one other story, uh, night after that, too. But it's just another. I'll just tell you quickly. So this same cousin was in town. It was Grey Cup. And the Grey Cup was in Vancouver. And I'm not, I don't care about football, really. But he's like, hey, I got free tickets. And he works for Labatt. That's why he was in town. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, come down to the the oh, wow. pre-party. So we get, me and my uncle go down to the pre-party at 10 a.m. And it was one of these. It was in the, it was a really nice bar. But it was just a free pour. Like, go back and pour your drinks. Like, everything's free. Needless to say, we went to the Grey Cup. I don't even remember being there. Uh, It was an absolute mess. We had a great time, just like all of my drinks. I had a great time, but I remember that night going home. We went out downtown afterwards, but I remember going home on the bus. I had to work the next day. It was like midnight. I remember just looking around at everybody, and I was such a drunken mess. On a Sunday, on a weekend that I said I wasn't going to drink, and I remember just looking around, feeling such incredible shame. Uh, shame, guilt, all of the emotions, just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is not what I expected. My wife's left me. I'm, you know, yeah, it sounds great to be sleeping around all the time and stuff like that, but it takes a little bit out of your soul the more you do Uh, it and, you know, using people. It
2: really does. It really does. I was very guilty. Yeah. So it
0: wears on you and it just all kind of came to a head And and, you know, I've told this story lots, but I woke up the next day and I just sat on the edge of my bed and I was just like. I, it was, you know, they talk about a moment of clarity and all this, but I just, everything became crystal clear to me. It was just like, you don't have to ever drink again.
2: We'll be right back after this quick PSA. This public service announcement is brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through treatment and therapy.
3: They've been there and they understand. Hey everyone, this is Ryan so uh, also known as the Captain from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, also known as Naloxone. These kits have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives, and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. You can keep them in your glove box or in a cupboard in your home, and you never know when somebody's going to need them. If you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at ashes to awesomepodcast at gmail.com, throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, Again, email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now and uh, we'll go back to the show. Thanks for listening.
0: And I was like sat there and I had my head in my hands just like with pounding headache and the shame and all of the emotions that I've been stuffing down for 25 years of just I was like, wait a minute. I don't have to do this. And I felt, I physically felt this weight lift off of me of just like all of the effort that I put into drinking and being this party guy and all of the crazy situations and like the, the heartbreaks and the hangovers and the addictions and the drugs and everything just like lifted off of me. It was, I've never felt anything like it. And I was like, I don't have to do this anymore. And wow. It just became crystal clear. Like, I'm sure that I said that numerous times, but this time it was like a physical sensation of just like, it's over. And, you know, I always tell people now, it's like, I think now when I look back that I had every awesome time that I was going to have on alcohol and drugs. And it was amazing. I had no regrets. I had so much fun. I partied my way around the world, but I had every awesome time I was going to have. And each time after that was just going to get progressively worse and worse and worse until I just wouldn't wake up because that's the direction it was going. But I actually felt that. So Chuck, I was like, Oh, and and why I mentioned my friend Jane there, I called her up that day. I said, I'm ready for a meeting. She said, I'll pick you up tonight. Yeah. And uh, she took me to my first AA meeting and we went to five meetings a week (laughs) together. She took me all the time, took me under her wing. And that was like the initial steps of realizing that recovery was possible because before it didn't even you know, I'm sure you said this too. Oh, I gotta stop drinking. I gotta get this under control. Well, I tried to control it for fucking 25 yeah, years.
2: Uh, yeah. it,
0: I could never, I proved it to myself over and Absolutely. over and over. I, this is how the story ends when I drink. Yeah. It ends in someone's house I don't know, mm-hmm. on the on somebody's lawn, uh, with a DUI, mm-hmm. uh, like just stupid, crazy shit, or just sitting at home by myself, feeling like a giant piece of shit and feeling sorry for yeah. myself. Yeah. So this is the way, so it was like, I don't have to feel like this anymore. I don't have to be in these situations anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So uh, she took me to these meetings. I threw myself into AA and we could talk about AA, don't go anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't advocate for it, but everybody that calls me or talks to me, I think I have a problem. The first thing I say is go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. You might find exactly what you're looking for there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. It's worked for lots of people, right? I'm I'm not a 12 step for myself, but Mm -hmm. I would never try and tell somebody not to try it. Right. No, not at all. And I found I didn't know
0: my preconceived notion about AA that I told you was completely wrong. I went in, I saw young people. I saw people that had their shit together. I saw like all different walks of life and, and races and colors and, and all the young, old, everything. And I started talking to people and they were good people and they were concerned about me and my recovery and showed and legitimately,
2: me. Legitimately, right? That's that yeah. fellowship. That yeah. You need that. You need that when you're first early on your recovery, right? Like the family that loves you so much, they don't know. They don't, they try to, but they yeah. don't know. Right. Yeah, 100%. To, to, to surround yourself in people like that, I think is it's integral. It really is. Right?
0: And to show it's, you what's again. possible. Like I, I saw people, I said, I want what you have. Like you seem to have your shit together. You seem genuinely happy. How do you be happy without alcohol and drugs? Because I didn't know. <laughs> right. But you yeah. know, I got a sponsor. Yeah. I started talking to people. I got a sponsor. I did a set of steps, which is like, you know, I always say, like, I think everybody should do a set of steps because it's like a program for life. Like you got to dig deep into yourself. And then, you know, making amends was a game changer for me. And just about going through the set of steps was big. And, you know, I have my own reasons why I don't go to AA anymore. I mean, I. but my recovery is not not in, well, every day you're always in danger. Like you don't get, I always say, you don't get a certificate when you're done. Like, hey, you're recovered. Like every day yeah. is a battle. <laughs> I just wrote this. It's a lifelong I just wrote this journey, thing right? the other day. It's like, yeah, every day is a war. But if you never go to war, you'll never find out if you're a hero or a coward. Which is true, right? So, um, right. Yeah. so it is. Yeah. But, but my recovery is—it's fairly safe because I've I've learned how to live now, and I've created a life that I don't have a burning desire to escape from. Which is the secret to recovery, pretty much. But um, right. Right. Yeah. so, yeah, AA was integral to my story and recovery, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm still in touch with some people that I was in AA with, but I just don't. I'm surrounded by recovery, anyways, right? It's just not so, your thing now, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's – so let's talk about that, mm-hmm. what you're doing these days, Sam. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you're working You're working at a yeah. treatment center um, as, as a counselor? No, I or, facilitate
0: yeah. – um, yeah, so my, my main gig right now is I facilitate a, a five-week recovery program. So it's, it's uh, online. It's generally through occupational health. So uh, it's often teachers, okay. you know, policemen, uh, somebody that's usually part of a union where they've gone to their union and say, like, hey, I'm having a problem or whatever. So they – they can do their treatment yep, from home. Yep. It's like four and a half hours a day. and uh, it's a five-week program. Okay.
2: And what, what happens in that four and a half hours? I've never heard of it's quite unique like actually. So yeah,
0: it. so it's uh, you know, we go through like, you know, what uh, each day is a different module. So it goes through like what the effects of alcohol on the brain or drugs, whatever the thing is, but uh but then it goes into like boundary setting and codependency and self-esteem and uh you know conflict resolution. It's kind of like a – it's yeah, yeah. more than just a recovery program. It's a, like get back on your feet. You know, like I always say like recovery – Gabor Mate always says this. Recovery means to take back, to get back. So it's like it helps people get their life back. Yeah. It's not so much like, you know, drugs are bad, yeah. alcohol is bad. It's like, hey, let's examine some of your relationships. Yeah. Let's examine why you drank in the first – why you were drinking, right? So Yeah, so,
2: right, right. And and I think it was Gabor Mate that said as well that – Addiction is lack of connection or yeah. something to that effect, right? He's, a, he's, he's Yeah, a he says, of that, he says that, you know, it's ideal. not why
0: the addiction, you it's why know. the pain. Right, so I'm a big fan of his. He's a local guy. I see him sometimes uh, out running. He runs. I'm a trail runner, and he. I see him sometimes out on the trails running. I think he lives in Portland as well now too. But oh, okay, yeah. So he's. I mean, he cut his teeth in the downtown east side, which is uh, a rough part of town here. But um,
2: yeah, yeah. For the the listeners that don't know what the downtown east side, East Hastings, it's called. Really, is what you're referring to. That it is. Yeah, it's downtown L.A. I guess if you look, if you look for uh, something that uh, corresponds down in the U.S. Right. Um, it's there's the first time I drove it was long before fentanyl, um, and it was life changing for me. I was just like scared. I didn't, you know, I'm big guy. I'm from the hood and Calgary, whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, you hit these tastings the first time. It's like roll up the fucking windows, right? Like Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's a pretty scary place to be. Yeah,
0: it's it's wild, and it's always been wild. It's worse now than it's ever been for for countless reasons but um what i always say about down there too is it's beautiful souls and uh somehow got lost along the way and i pray that recovery finds them all because it's like uh it's it's wild down there you don't want to walk down there at all i did a stint um working at union gospel mission which is right in the heart of it okay and uh i worked for a recovery program there for a while and it's just uh But great guys, great people. These are these are human beings, right? They are human beings. Um, They they love and they're
2: loved, right? Yes, they are loved. All of them like that. All Everybody who suffers an addiction, right?
0: You know. 100% man. And they're, right. uh, for various reasons, almost always it's a trauma situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they've ended yeah. up there. So yeah, so the, the the facilitating what I do now is a bit different because they're like usually professionals or whatever. But they, at the end of five weeks of digging deep into yourself, you come out a bit of a different person, right?
2: No kidding, um, no kidding.
0: But my what I love to do is I'm, I'm a recovery coach too. So part of my story is I worked for... Um, a lot through through my addiction and the worst times of my addiction. I always one of the things I kind of pride myself is is I always kept my job. I had a I worked for an engineering company. Um, I would go to work hungover. I never drank at work, but I would go to work hungover. But I always managed to keep it together enough to keep this job because I got paid very well, um, and it provided me to be a single dad. I was a single dad for a lot of this uh, raising my kids solo on my own, which is another journey that I was completely unprepared for. But that's the way it turned out. Um, so I worked for this job for 15 years, but it was killing me. And in recovery, a couple years into recovery, I was like, you know, you, ex- you know what it's like, you ex- start examining your life with a clear mind. And like, what are my values? Like, what am I working towards? What are my goals? Like, how important is money versus happiness? Uh, you start asking yourself all these questions and I left this job, which was the shocker to a lot of people because it was money, it was security, it was, um, it was a very good situation, but I was miserable. I was unhappy. So I, what am I going to do uh, to leave? Like I used to, I used to like get on Google and be like, what, what do I want to be? I'd go to like the local college and like look through the courses and be like, what else can I do? Because I'm, <laughs> yeah. 30, I'm well, now I was in my forties. I was probably like 43 or something. And I'm like, all I've ever done is party and work warehouse jobs. Like what, what are my skills? What can I do? And I, I was dating a girl for a while, a real sweetheart. Um, and you know, she, we, she had lost her brother to addiction. So we had this kind of bond, um, and she's a great girl. And one day I just told her in depth about my recovery story. And she's like, she goes, this is what you should be doing. You've got so much to help people and you, you can talk and you've got all this, like, you you she's like i've seen you help so many people and there's people that are sober now that directly say it's a result of your conversations and your encouragement to them she's like why don't you do this and i was like is this a job like i don't even know if it's a job so <laughs> i just said i started looking up I was like well i could be like a recovery coach so counseling i looked at counseling too but i never i don't have the grades to go to university like i don't have like i barely graduated like i don't have like so and even yeah. to actually go and study and do all that it's kind of beyond me at this point um so I started looking into like, well, what is coaching? So, you know, I always say counseling is, you know, what happened and coaching is like, okay, that happened. What are you going to do about it? Right. So that's how, that's the very gist right. yeah. Yeah. of yeah. how I look at it. It's a rudimentary way of looking at it. Of course, it's more complex than that, but I was just like, maybe I could be a recovery coach. And so there, that's not, it's an emerging industry now, but there's, it's not like a thing right now, like it's starting to be. So, you yeah, know, I went and got a coaching, uh, Like a life coaching degree or whatever, but just, I I went back to school. I I quit my job. That's a
2: thing. See, I don't, I don't know anything about this. So that's a thing. A life coaching degree. Yeah. And there's
0: a lot of debate about the validity of it, whether it's important, but it did. So I, so I ended up, ended up leaving this job to go and back to this local college to do like a coaching degree. And people were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to dedicate my life to recovery. Like I believe in recovery. I love recovery. I love talking to people. I love helping it when I can. I love this. I just want to be around the recovery world. So um, yeah, so the one thing that it taught me was, you know, how to listen, how to ask questions, how to like, you know, recovery coaching isn't you rarely tell your own story. It's about pulling like this, yeah. what we've yeah. talked about so far is the first time I've talked about this in a long time. It's, it's about pulling that their person's story and helping them see what's possible for them. So I did learn things like, you know, like I said, how to ask questions, how to how to listen and really listen. And um, so then I just started, you know, I got a website. I got I started calling myself Gallant Coaching and started throwing myself out there. Um, it it's a that what I've learned is that it's not enough to sustain a full time income. Um, and we can, I hope we do talk about this is just like the stigma because I like to help men. Okay. Cause, uh, oh, I should say I'm grateful to my women clients. I love, I, I encourage them. Please come to me and <laughs> yeah. I can connect really well with women too. And I genuinely care about every.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it over the years you connected with a few, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: I, well, I can't even get into the details here, my friend. But, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, I hear you, you know. there. Yeah, yeah, Let's just gloss um, that one But right? yeah, uh, yeah. I loved connecting with anybody in recovery. But what I've found is that men are very underrepresented in the mental health space. So many dudes are suffering in silence. And I know that because I was for years and years. I try to be now. What I needed 10 years ago, like when I was desperate for help and desperate, but I couldn't, I had too much pride, too much uh, ego to admit that I needed help, to ask for help. Um, I just couldn't do it because of these things that these stigmas that we were held down by. So I try to connect with guys in a way that makes it safe. Like, you know, we're having this conversation. This is going to go out to the world. But w- yeah, when, when I work with doing, guys, right? yeah. uh, it's a, I tell them the first thing is like, this is a confidential, and safe container. Nothing you say will ever be said outside of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you give that space to a dude that to let his guard down, it's amazing. I've had grown tough guys like cry. I've cried with them. Um, I've had guys talk about shit that they've never talked about before, and that's the step to healing, right? Like the, start addressing. You be you might be married. Yeah. Uh, you know how many guys have been married for twenty years and never talk to their wife about some stuff, right? Or like you might have a best friend. Like I always say this: you might have your yep. bros, like your your best friends. You you'd jump in front of a car for them. But are you going to talk about your mental health? Are you going to talk about your fear? of like, maybe you might be addicted. Nope. Are you going to talk about, the, you know, if you have issues with your sex life or the things that you're scared about in the world, like you're not going mm-hmm. to, right? Maybe you do, no. but it's not but common. It,
2: it, those friendships do happen. They're just not as commonplace as, you know, they could be. That's yeah, sure, right? so that's, that is yeah. that is
0: why I focused on, like I want to be a recovery coach for men because if I could get to them, you know, there's a good chance that they might start addressing some things. They might start examining their life without the ego and without the pride uh, that, that's holding them down. So that is the kind of the direction I, w- I went. Like I said, it's not enough. You try to get guys to actually get to this space, and that's a challenge in itself, right? So it's like, yeah. yeah. so I do that part-time, and I do this facilitating. Like I said, I did a stint at Union Gospel Mission, which was on the, in the downtown east side of Vancouver, East Hastings Street, which, you know, I love that too. Didn't work out for various reasons, but um, I just want to help people, dude. Like, I want to... Talk to them. I want to hear their stories. I want to sit with them and let them know that they're not alone, man. Like I want to fist bump through the screen, like, dude, I'm with you, man. Like, fuck, I've been there. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. And there is hope. Right, there right. is hope. This, yeah. you know, this yeah. you
0: must. It's like you you have yeah. to have hope. Yeah, you I have do. to have yeah. faith. When you lose that, yeah. you're. It's it's a long and lonely, dark road ahead.
2: It sure is a. It sure is. And I know. So for myself, I came back to Calgary after 15 years of being in Saskatchewan, and. and the last five years of that was pretty, pretty bad. A lot of yeah, like that. Yeah. A lot of really bad things happened. Was it mainly alcohol? Uh, no, no, I was I was drugs. I was coke, coke, coke yeah, and yeah. crack. Right? I hear you. Yeah, that was the yeah, all consuming all the time mm-hmm. for me. I honestly, I don't remember last time I was drunk. I, I wow. couldn't tell you, right? Yeah, as soon as I I stopped smoking crack and started snorting coke again for 19 years and nine months, I stayed away from that pipe. But the moment I got back on that pipe, I wow. stopped. Yeah, everything else went away—the drinking, the gambling, everything else went away, right? You know, I was, you know, yes. I was all in, and um, I made up for some lost time there when I did, yeah, that's mm-hmm. for sure. And but anyway, all those really terrible, horrible things. I'm left with the case of PTSD that's you know acute to say the least. When I got back to Calgary, um, my friends from when I was like 18, 19 years old, yeah, everybody that's involved with this podcast, save Lisa, would be the only person. Yeah. I have known since I was 20, every single person, oh, everybody cool, on the team, they surrounded me in love, and they, you know, I have those conversations with my man friends now, right? And, it, you know, and it, mm. I never, where I was, where I was in Regina there, no, no, right? That would certainly never happen, not not in the lifestyle I was living, no. and, and those conversations yeah. happen routinely, you know? We tell each other, we love each yeah. other, like you were talking before we started recording here, right? What a, mm-hmm. what a. What a better life. You know, just it's so much better than yeah. worried about ego and you know, you know, being macho or whatever you want to call that, bravado. It's that's a shit way to live, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it really is, you know.
0: Dude, I'm putting yeah. my hand on my heart yeah. because I you hear know. you hundred yeah. percent, man. It's uh and breakthroughs yeah, can happen. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like breakthroughs yeah. can happen. I've seen it and it's just taking that step. The step is the hardest yeah. part, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Just reaching out or um, it just telling somebody else, even that you're just unhappy. It doesn't you know, it doesn't even have to be around drugs or alcohol, although this is, I know it's a recovery podcast, mm-hmm. but just dudes are fighting battles that we know nothing about out there, right? Like there's that that famous quote about uh the mass of men are out there leaving leading lives of quiet desperation, yeah, yeah, right? right? Just like screaming on the inside but smiling on the outside. And you could be you could be miserable at your job, you could be unfulfilled, you know, you could get into middle age and be like, fuck, I always wanted to do this this other thing Mm. and here I am stuck in this job, but now I've got these kids. It just wears down on you little by little by little. And and
2: not having anywhere to vent those frustrations to, let alone do anything about them, you know, or or address them in a mental health kind of Uh, way. That's that's a recipe. Or,
0: you know, I got, I have two divorces, but how many, how many guys are stuck in marriages that they're just so unhappy with, right? Like there's just, there's so much hope for, we live this life once, man. And it's like, you got to do what you need to do to enjoy yourself and, and live a, ful- it's fulfillment, right? That's like meaning, yeah. like, what is your yeah. meaning? Um, in my work, I do tons of like values work, like figure like, what are your values? Right? Like most people don't even fucking know their values, nope. right? Which nope. is understandable because I didn't either yeah. until I went to therapy for the first time. Yeah. Uh, And the guy's like, what are your values? I'm like, I have no idea. So we worked on it. And once I figured it out, it was like, oh, here's why I'm miserable in this job. Here's why I'm so unfulfilled here, because I'm not living in line with what is truly important to me.
2: Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you're out of sync. When you're unhappy, you're out of sync um ryan basket yes. on, on our wednesday episodes talks about that quite a bit with us right i, was, I
0: love you know, that yeah the yeah, alignment yeah. this energy yeah. that you're living in it's not it's not like a peaceful state, right you're not yeah. living yeah. your best right. life it sounds yeah. cheesy but it's true right can i ask I, you chuck yeah. did you go to did you go to treatment
2: no i didn't um this is my treatment we're doing it right now so <laughs> right? um i was i'm still less than a year sober
0: right oh wow for okay myself. yeah good yeah, for you yeah. man hey man there's no uh, yeah don't know, there's no any time, whether it's a day, a year, or First month years. is
2: as hard as the first year, as Fuck hard yeah, as the first 10 years, right? You know, percent so, um, And I am proud of it. Um, for myself, and we'll talk a bit about that. Last year, when I uh, first, like, I had never attempted sobriety. It wasn't even a consideration for me. Right? I, I, I was balls to the wall um, at different degrees, you know, because I've had some successes at peaks and valleys like mm-hmm. anything else. Um, I first tried to get sober uh, just about a year and a half ago now for the first time. And, uh, you know, a few relapses there, to say the least. Um, with every relapse, the addiction became less compelling mm. in between, right? So um, I, I had stopped smoking crack uh, at one point yeah. and moved on to meth. Yeah. Which, ugh, that's a whole different oh, thing. Oh, yeah, I, I remember. it. it at, at some point, I remember thinking, I'm, I'm sober much more often than I'm high but I'm high every day, uh, right? But for waking hours, yeah. right? Um, because what had happened was all the violence and, and shit that happened in the last couple of years really caught up to me. Uh-huh. And, and I'd gone 20 years of selling dope and never had yeah. a problem, not once. And in the course of two years, I can't even, like, I, I just, I don't like to, I, I just can't. I'm not comfortable doing it because it brings yeah, up it. so much still. The fucking yeah, things yeah. that happened. Fentanyl and meth came on the scene together You got one drug that people will do absolutely anything for. And that is just the nature of that drug. That is not the person. But you have another drug that'll keep them awake for two weeks doing it. Right. And and (sighs) then that's a fuck. That is the perfect storm of awful right there. Right. So the violence that that brought into the scene all of a sudden, and it was all of a sudden really messed me up. I'd gone 20 years of selling dope and I never hurt anybody over money. And all of a sudden I was being house evaded, tortured, kidnapped Oh, it was awful, right? Was awesome. so, oh, yeah, it was some really bad things happened, right? So the trauma from that, it, mm-hmm. the drugs had turned into me escaping mm-hmm. Matt. They went from this fun destination yeah. to an escape destination, right? And it, it lost their fun for me. So I'd, I'd relapse, and it might take me three months to come back and take another kick at the can, but in that three months, it wouldn't have been as bad as the time before. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I kind of slowly tapered off of the life until I was just exhausted. My father died in Calgary, um, well, he got sick. I didn't make it back in time. Um, the day I found out he was sick, I Ugh. stopped. I had two and a half weeks in when he died. Mm-hmm. I that day I went pretty hard. Pain. Right? I was I was cracking meth, and I was, was like pain. I was all over the map. But then the next yeah. morning I woke up. Yeah, yeah, right. And and it is it's a lot of pain with that still. But the next day I woke oh, up and wow. said okay, I'm done. So I've been done since you know it's the day after my dad passed. Um, it's been so I, I get to Calgary. I move into this place on Facebook. I rent a room, and is this drug-free house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all sober. We're all sober. Not even two weeks. Not even two weeks. They all stopped freaking pretending. There was, yeah, you yeah. know, there was this crack, meth, fentanyl. It was just like nuts, right? Um, quite obvious drug dealers all around. And then on New Year's Eve, a guy pulled out a shotgun, and I, I was in my room when it happened. Oh, dude! And and I heard that you know the, the cock right outside my door. I didn't leave my room for, I don't know if I've said this, oh, there. Bro. I did not leave my room for two days. I pissed in a cup and dumped mm-hmm. it out the window, right? Because like, I was just like, I was like messed yeah. right up, right? I couldn't even get on a bus at that point. Like I was like in pretty bad shape. So that happens. And it was just like, boom, right? And I was talking to my mother mm-hmm. a couple of days later. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're talking about what are you going to do for work? I mean, there's some realities that we got to face here. I can't work. I can't work with, how am I going to, how am I going to handle a, you know, some sort of conflict with a boss or Mm -hmm. something like, Mm -hmm. and I've been an A, A type alpha my whole life. I've been a manager at sales, like, and I've a fundamental shift in my very being and I just couldn't do it anymore. So mom said, well, what would you do if you could do anything? I said, I'd write. And I had Mm -hmm. this pot. Oh yeah. I had a blog back in Saskatchewan. Day five, I had like 7,000 views. It was like crazy Mm -hmm. successful, like right off the bat. But when I relapsed, the shame of that stopped it, and I could never find the pleasure in it again. So, Mom said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, well, "I could write," and but I can't. You know, things. You ever think about a podcast?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's been my therapy ever since. Right? I I started uh, January twenty seventh. Yeah. I borrowed a Windows seven laptop with no microphone, no headphones, nothing, and I recorded my first episode. And, and now we are where we are. I mean, we're like, you know, we're in the stratosphere for, for how popular the show has become. Um, but it's a six day a week show. People don't do that. Uh, I put 50, 60 hours a week into this since, since the day I started, it was like, this has to be the way I make a living because at this, at that point in my life, now I, I I could adjust a little better, but now I get to do this and, and and work really hard at it. But this is, if this is going to be a living, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to like, I'm going to work really, really hard at it. And, and that's, you know, so we have. In that process, though, what's really cool is the people—the people that have come as being a part of the show. Um, I got, you know, I, I got one friend Lena who I can call up and say, "I need an idea yeah. for this, this, and this, and I need it five minutes because I'm about to start recording and I'm not prepared for this shit." Boom, boom. She, you know, she spits them out. Or, you know, I, I, my my one friend's wife, we call Casper. You know, I need some tech support or, or whatever. Yeah. Every single person has just become so involved I love it. in the show. Because we're helping people, you know. Because yeah, we're absolutely. Yeah, help for people. sure.
0: Yeah, Lisa, well, like I told be you before, I, I remember the shoes, and the shoes awesome just in high school like team. Awesome, man. Right? Um,
2: like, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah. what I what I'm hearing right now, dude, and what I'm seeing in front of me is a guy that I'll found bet she was, hey, I'll
2: bet she was. Yeah, yeah, right. right.
0: found a purpose. Yeah, and that's what you need, right? Like I always a, a huge part of my coaching, my personal, Direction my private coaching, right? you know, yeah. is around this yeah. concept of you are the captain of your ship. Right. Like, and I go through this whole process with this guy's, with guys. It's a long thing, but we analyze different parts of what a captain would be dealing with and how it relates to your life and recovery. But you are the captain, right? Like, you are sailing toward, you are the only man holding this wheel. Everybody's the captain of their own life, their own ship. You are in charge of where you go when that storm comes. Do you fight it or do you let it wash you to God knows where? Like, do you hide or do you grab that wheel and fucking attack it, right? Like, the knowing that when the storm passes, it's sunny weather and smooth seas on the other side, right? So what I'm seeing right now is a dude that fucking grabbed the wheel, man, and like uh is sailing towards something. You know, when you yeah. when when wind hits the sails, that creates momentum. You're Thank moving you. when your sails are up and you allow these are like the strengths in your life. This allows you to have momentum moving forward. And that's what I see with this podcast. And oftentimes it takes bottoming out, it takes everything collapsing around you to rebuild again right and rebuild with a stronger foundation with stronger walls to protect what's you know the walls are there to protect what's inside right you rebuild you build stronger walls because you realize how delicate it is inside and a strong foundation so that it doesn't fucking collapse on you again right so that's that's what i'm seeing right in front of me here dude is and i love it
2: well thank you for that man thank you thank you (laughs) that that means a lot it really does right um and and you know, to anybody that's listening in their first time, and you know, I, I got to get this in there. The days of the week. So we got Memorial Monday and, and you haven't listened all the days. So I, I'll explain this to you, Zan. Memorial Monday, we take yeah. uh, an audio submission or an interview. I, I've opened my mind to that now. Somebody who's lost somebody to overdose and or addiction. But the idea being is to remember that person in such a way that the whole world remembers that they were more than a statistic oh, or how they passed. I fucking love it, dude. Because it's that invoking that emotion from the muggles, I call them, everybody who's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. part of this life, I call them muggle. Um, invoking that emotion is, is yeah. to me, how we'll get real policy change, right? And, you know, right? Because let's face it, it, most of us, you know, especially in active addiction, aren't voting. We're not, nobody it's gives so a shit enough about our opinions, you know, even in early recovery, right? You know, and it's it's just this reality of it. But all the muggles out there, they're the ones that they're paying attention to. So if I can get your attention just and bring you in mm-hmm. and understand what's happening, here, that the yes. people are loved and that they love. I hear you, dude. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Tuesdays, this is a Tuesday, right? It's about, uh, raising from the, rising from the ashes of addiction into the awesomeness of recovery. Wednesday, Mm -hmm. you have to listen to Wednesday, my friend, you have to, you, Ryan Bathgate is wise, charismatic, and passionate in a way that it's, Mm -hmm. it's just totally unique. Um, he has changed the lives of everybody that's involved with the show. Um, consistently all the time. Right, he's yeah. he's just he's a superhuman, is what he is. Um, some of the things he says are are so profound. Um, they've completely changed mm-hmm. my attitude, that's for sure. Um, the love model is no what we call it now. It's it's exclusion is oh. the boot on the neck of an addict. If you even if it's just perceived exclusion, yes, it's the boot, right? Um. So if you can just get rid of that, don't give him a reason to lie. Don't just, Hey, yeah. I get it. You know, all right. Like I get what you're going through, whatever. He, he puts it in such a great way. It it changes everything. It just, everything is just, yes. just, just different Thursdays. We take a break from it. Uh, my buddy Scott from the no new friends podcast. He's, mm-hmm. he's got a really popular, hilarious show down in the States there uh, in Florida. He is, he comes on and he gives me tips about living in sobriety. That uh generated by ChatGPT. We're we're kind of moved mm. away from that now a little bit, but they're fucking hilarious, man. We we go like it's addicts and assholes find it funny, right? That's about it. Uh um, but you need a break when you're covering all this serious subject matter, right? Like you just you need to. So Thursdays are mine. I'll keep them forever. I, I just I I get mm-hmm. to laugh. You know, and, and, and that's what I do by by default. So this is that part of it's been really tough. Fridays, Fridays yeah. are unique. They are for the loved ones of addicts. Right, the, the conscripted soldiers, the people that, that just they have yes. to fight to fight, and they don't get to go get high and take a break from all the shit. Nobody's been telling their story. And so for Lisa, that was validation. Lisa said she wished there was a show 20 years ago that was doing this because then she would have known, they would have known they're not alone. And so those those episodes are really yeah, important yeah. to me. That, that, that started with Flora, who I mentioned earlier. She co-hosts with me now too. Uh, so it's not just my you know rough voice or whatever it, it's her and she's got she's a muggle so she's got this sense of yeah,
3: yeah. the questions
2: she asked are great right like what's a trap house yeah. you know and it's like oh my god right you don't know and that's so great that you don't know yeah. but then i thought well fuck how many listeners don't know it's like we sit here talking this language this is great to have her involved right and this the empathy that comes from is like so sincere and so genuine um yeah. She, she often gets my ass back on track. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to make a living at doing this too. So sometimes mm-hmm. the business side of it can be a little, you know, to her, it's like, what are you doing right yeah. now? <laughs> like get back to, you know, get back to that guy that cried yesterday on air. Right. Like, what are you doing? Right. I like, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So she helps keep bring me yeah. back in. And then of course there's a weekend ramble where we sit around and talk about how the week went. It's a crazy busy schedule, man, but we are. We're loving it, and you know that, that who who could have you broke, got wind like, in your sails, bro? That's go the here thing, when I first right? Picked up that window? and you hold
0: months. on to you know what it's right. like in addiction or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, everything right. goes yeah. so yeah. shitty it's for it's so long, like, something good happens, you attach yourself to it, like hold on for dear life. This these conversations help keep me in recovery, yeah. and successful recovery. They, <laughs> yeah, the, right. You know, it's like you hold on, right. you hold on because it's all you got. To, especially in the right. early days, it's like oh, all yeah, all I can do is get through this day, right? So
2: right yeah. I know you know for me yeah. um, two things in early recovery yeah. are the, were the hardest yeah like in the very early recovery the loneliness right <laughs> Good point. Uh, which is fucked because addiction kept you so lonely right? yeah. <laughs> for so long but you had some other people to be lonely with I guess right um the the loneliness it was really hard for me and the being so broke because everything's honest now yeah. right I'm not hustling and for me, mm-hmm. I, I was, I sold. That's how I got my, that's how I supplied my habits. That's how I made a you know. Um, so all of a sudden I'm like, Look, like, I, I kind of need 20 bucks to yeah. eat, mom. Can you, can you help me out? Right. And you know, like, and you're like, you're really like, I fuck, I got to eat. So, you know, I didn't get a haircut yeah. for like six months because I, you know, or five months or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't have the 20 bucks for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really hard for me, really hard for me to deal with. Right. My relapses, oh. every single one of them, I was going from moose draw to regina. because yeah. I was going to go double my money real quick. Oh, man. And get yeah. back, and yeah, I think I heard you ago. say that on the right. podcast no, that I right. listened yeah, to one yeah. of the last ones, right. something so,
0: about that. Yeah, yeah, you always think you're going to double your money, right? Come back with your your pockets turned out of your jeans of like, oh, shit. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, and I lost all those second-hand Dude, clothes er- about me,
0: Mom. Your mom. You again, right? No, I was going to say, it's a great, great thing that your mom has is there <laughs> for you, right? Like, it's mom. Well.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Go. Yeah, my mom is... Uh, she's a rock star, man. She's a rock star. Uh, man, she is a source oh. of, of strength for so many. She is just, it's amazing. It's amazing, right? Yeah.
0: Well, some, some people are like you were saying about the guy that does the Wednesday yeah. show with you. Sorry, his name escapes me you were saying you were talking so highly of him and i was thinking i'm like some people yeah, are just conductors right. man they're mm-hmm. conductors of energy like uh like on a power line they yeah. conduct this energy they take their energy yeah. and pass it put, move it around and and, and inflict <laughs> others with this yeah. positive energy to show them yeah, what is possible yeah, yeah. right like that's what you know i try to do in my recovery journey of just like hey dude this is possible like you might not think it's possible but let me fucking tell exactly. you that it is man um, like, so i, I gotta um, ask you then
2: as a recovery coach yeah. Is that something that happens online quite a bit or is that just a, like an in-person is where you do your best work or, or is it a mix or what, what
0: happens? No, all? thanks for the question. Uh, I do it all okay. online. Okay. Um, I find I I am easily – I've met people like in coffee shops before, but I'm easily distracted. Okay. Um, like I'll be sitting there like t- trying to listen and you know, whether it's like there's some situation over there or something <laughs> going on or somebody walks Ooh, by some cute girls <laughs> over there. It's like, yeah, there's something I don't, I like to give people my full attention for the hour that we're together. Right. Is like, and I want to like give you their, I work for, I would say like I work for them. Right. So it's like, I want to give them the utmost uh attention and uh every, all of my everything that I have for that hour. Right. So it's like, uh, yeah, I do find online is better. It just I'm in a zone. Okay. I'm staring okay. at a screen. I've got, no, I'm free of distractions, right? Great. So it's like Great. Um, so. Eventually, means... I would love to turn this. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, eventually, I would love to turn this into some sort of like speaking at places or something yep. like that. Like I don't hate public speaking, like a lot of people do, but I'd yep. love to turn it into something else. Um, because, like I was saying, the cornerstone of what I do with the is the the captain of your ship, the sailboat metaphor. I call, I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we examine your life through eight different areas. So there's like I was saying earlier, the sails, these are your strengths. Where are you using your strengths? Because as I said, your sale, the sale strengths create momentum. Mm-hmm. O- opposite of that, there's a leak on the boat. So what are your weaknesses? Like what are your, what can we address here? Is it negative self-talk? Is it, is it, uh, you know, uh, poor self-esteem? Like what are your weaknesses? And, you know, there's like the steering wheel. That's what I was saying about values. Values represent, the steering wheel represents values. It's like, where are you sailing? Like, What is driving you? Where are you wow. going? There's the compass of the compass that a captain of a ship would have. This is your emotions. Yep. Like mm-hmm. where are you when you look at, when you examine, like where are you going? There's the map, a captain would have a map. Well, this is your goals. How are you ever gonna get somewhere if you don't know where you're going? Like you clearly define it. You're in, in recovery, you get an opportunity to create a vision of what you want. Well, once you have that vision, once it's crystal clear, how are you going to, what are the steps you need to take to get there? Right. So that's a map. And it goes on and on. There's uh, the, the, the weather. Well, this is the, the, your resilience, you know, how do you all shitty things are going to happen to us our whole lives, whether small or big. Right. But it's like, you aren't responsible for what happens to you, but how you respond to it is 100% your responsibility. Right. So,
2: and uh, we
0: also look at, you know, other boats, who are you sailing with? Are they helping you? Are they holding you back? Like, are you sailing with people that are encouraging you or are they trying to sabotage your journey? Right? Like, so we do a full examination of like where you are right now. Like, let's look at your fucking life and this big picture on a macro level. You know, you zoom out. Most people they go through lives, they're on this micro level. They see through their eyes. They're very, it's their immediate world around them. But how often do we stop and pull out to like a bird's eye view and be like, what the fuck is really going on here? Like, Where am I, where am I, where am I moving towards what I want? What's holding me back? Like, how can I be better? How can I learn more about myself? Right? So that's kind of the way, the way that I work with. And it's easy to do that online. So what I was saying about, I I have a whole presentation that I go through with guys uh, in their initial sessions, but I would love to take that onto a bigger scale someday. So uh, to answer your question about recovery coaching. Yeah.
2: Okay. So that's just about building the brand and about the brand. If, uh, if the listeners want to check you out, how are they going to oh, find Oh man. Me? Yeah.
0: Thanks. Uh, uh, gallant dash coaching is my website. Uh, gallant okay. coaching was taken, yeah. but gallant coaching is my Instagram. Instagram is the best. I mean, I got, uh, I'm on my phone all the time. That's just another addiction, but, uh, Instagram <laughs> yeah, is just yeah, gallant coaching. Yeah. Uh, That's the best way to get a hold of me. I do try to put like inspirational content up there. Uh, Not inspirational, but just like, Mm -hmm. hey, I I put myself out there. (laughs) You know, I'm an an authentic dude. I put when I'm struggling, I put like, I share a lot about what life is like now because um, you know this man, like a life in recovery is fucking amazing. It doesn't have to suck. Like, uh, I've changed. I, uh, people think I, appreciation, oh, right? gratitude,
2: things you appreciate. Well, oh, I hope man. we wrap up with oh, yeah.
0: this. No, I'm not ready yeah. to wrap up yet, unless you are. But um, I always wrap, like, I give, for me, the secret is gratitude. Every single day of gratitude, I give it. I get down <laughs> on my knees and I pray, not to Jesus, not to anything like that, but to this energy force that is uh, guiding my life. Pray. And That's, I just yeah. give gratitude. Yeah. You know, I say, you know, it, for, oh, well. for
3: everything <laughs> as exactly. it turns it out
2: <laughs> as it turns out man we uh every day that's uh sure. that's my favorite part of the show and that is the daily gratitudes. They're brought to you by
1: Hey, this is Scott from the No New Friends Podcast, the podcast for adults who love to laugh at adulting. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ashes to Awesome. The Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by the No New Friends Podcast. Please check us out, no new friends We're streaming on all major platforms. If you just need laughter in your week, just an escape from What's going on in your life? I highly recommend my podcast to get you through that week, bring some levity and, and make you laugh. So check us out. No new friends podcast on all streaming platforms. That's no new friendspodcast.com. And now here are your daily gratitudes. And remember, you are loved.
2: When I have a guest on the show, I like to get you to share us share with us some of your daily gratitudes. So if you give me three or four of, of yours, I mean you don't have to stop there. If you if you got a whole lot, you can keep going if you want. But uh yeah. What you got? sure.
0: Um, yeah, and I'll try and even keep them short. Uh, you know, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm so grateful for this life in recovery. Um, you know, I'm 47 years old, I'm in the best shape of my life. I run ultra marathons. I just did my tenth ultra marathon. Um, all of this is all I always say this: every awesome thing in my life is a direct result of that one good decision after a lifetime of questionable ones. So you know, eight and a half years in, I'm still grateful for this life of recovery. Every day I wake up without a hangover is a blessing. Um, So that is number one. And I, I always say, Chuck, too, is like when I, t- I work with guys, you know, I coach one thing I'll just be clear about. Coaches don't give advice, just like counselors don't give advice. People don't come to me and I say, here's what you do, blah, blah, blah. It's not that at all because everybody's journey is different. It's about helping them discover What's possible for them and how they can start moving Unlimited their ship access in that direction. Right? So, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my the God, captain, yeah, Ryan Bathgate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that that's actually great. Um, so yeah, so just being grateful for for you know, I'm in an amazing relationship right now. I I but when I was in addiction, I was incapable of having a relationship. That's why I bounced around so much because I had so much of my own ego, my own hurt, my own everything that I would just, I'd draw people in then push them away constantly, all this kind of stuff. But so I'm grateful for, for my beautiful relationship. We've been over three years now and I know deep in my heart, this is the one, right? Like I yes, I was married twice before. I always joked that they were practice, right? That was, and then I used to tell people I'm in between wives right now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful for, you know, I said I have an 18 year old son. We have had a, Crazy journey. We're so different. We're polar opposites. Um, his mom left when he was twelve and left me to raise him on my own. So he's got a lot of a lot of issues because of that. Um, and but and we have issues. We're so different. So you know. We He moved out at 17 because we couldn't live together. We were going to uh, – he, he was either going to get kicked out or move out. So he moved out on his own. But what I'm grateful for is that I'm s- still in his life. He calls me. Now that we don't live together, he calls me all the time. We talk. I take him out for dinner like once a week, get him groceries, this sort of thing. And that's what our relationship is. And I'm so grateful that I have that with him because for a while there, it looked like, it looked like either – awesome you know the, my worst fear is him ending up on the downtown east side right like which i would never give up on him but we we're estranged so i'm grateful that i have that i'm grateful for i'm grateful for you man i'm grateful for all of my brothers and sisters in recovery that you know share their their experience strength and hope um because it's so important to show people what's possible uh so i'm grateful for that i'm grateful for every day whether it's raining whether it's sunny like i'm grateful for my friends i've got friends that I've had since I was five years old, like that I love and my new friends, it's just, you know, when you find the gratitude is so big and when you, people are always say like, write down three gratitude things. And it's like, which you should, because you could be grateful for a cup of coffee. You could be grateful for.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, th- I see. Oh, I try and yeah. remind people that sometimes it's just, just
0: grateful for that too, conversation right. you it's had with a, a the friend shit, that right. lifted you, know, you up that right. you hadn't oh. talked to for a while. There's so much to be grateful for. And of course the big things, the life that we wake up, you know, many people don't wake up, whether it's through uh, addiction or not, or just like you know, I'm grateful yeah. for my health. When you when you really think about it, yeah. you can. Yeah. And I find that people that are in addiction have a hard time, and that's why I and try to get through to people. Like, let's come up with some things you're grateful for. Would you? That's. Remember what I was saying about you could hold on to something. You could hold on to those things when everything is collapsing around you, and it's a shit show, and your life is a disaster. And honestly, dude, you might not even want to live anymore. When that is the case, you can be you can if you can latch on to just something to be grateful for, somebody that loves you, somebody that's there for you, somebody that is supporting you, or even just latching on to just a little bit of hope, and you get that through gratitude right um that's what I truly believe is a game changer, and that can save lives. You know there was a time i'm guessing i mean we we've just met, but I'm guessing that there's been times when you didn't want to live anymore
2: oh there's. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's years. <laughs>
0: right? What a terrible yeah, yeah, right, place yeah. to be! But to be in to be in so much pain to want to exit this beautiful life um, is a is an awful place to be, and I feel it because I felt it too, man. And uh, yeah, it's just um, you know for great gratitudes. There's so much, man. Take every little thing. If you have a roof over your head, you know. If you have a little bit of food in the fridge, just fucking <laughs> hold on to that, right?
2: And sometimes that's a little bit right, but in an early recovery, especially right, like um, when I first started the show here, it was mayonnaise sandwiches for a while. Like it, that's that was just the reality, right? You know, and then now I can put the odd slice of bologna on, and someday I'll be able to order pizza when I want to, right? That's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing, right?
0: Do you look at it like, oh shit, I have to eat fucking mayonnaise sandwiches again, or do you look at it as like, God oh, damn, exactly, I'm so right, grateful exactly. to have this so, two pieces it, of bread and a little bit of mayo to put on this thing, right? The like, level so many of people appreciation
2: for things just perspective perspective my entire okay up until last year or late last year i had never Mm -hmm. been sober for 30 days in a row ever right um and i'm 45 years old 46 years old now so the things a relationship sober you just spoke about that and so i'm in a relationship now Mm -hmm. it's the craziest thing Right. It's just like, it's the, like, wow, you know, I'll I'll say it. Sex sober is like, holy fuck, man. I didn't even think like, whoa, that's crazy. Right. (laughs) I never did this before. Like my whole life was this chaos. And even when I was doing good, I was fucked up on something. Right. So, so now people like, yeah, you ever drink again? You ever Mm -hmm. smoke pot again? And those things weren't problems for me. But
3: yeah, I don't, I don't
2: know. Not now I'm kind of liking this. Right. Like, you know, like that much I can tell you. Right. You know, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. It's, yeah whole new
2: world eh? oh, oh hey man right.
0: you brought it up man. the sex the sex in sobriety or in recovery is it takes a while to get there but i used to be fearful of that i used to be like well how am i gonna how am i gonna do it how am i gonna even talk to a woman without drinking or drugs right my my second wife we were together for like five years and i think we had sex <laughs> yeah, sober yeah, right. like i i can i can tell you times.
2: that and never, we, and, i don't and remember we did it all the time, time. time. <laughs> um
0: today, <laughs> so so yeah ever Yeah, so I'm glad we're talking about this because it's like, yeah, the relationships, and, and I've had a couple others in the eight years. They all taught me something. I took something from all of them. Yeah. They didn't work out, but it's just like, the it's like, hello, vulnerability. Hello, like, and my my partner now, she makes me, she's like, you know, I know something's bothering you. And for years, I've, oh, just but she like yeah, makes right. me talk about it. We talk <laughs> about it. We have these beautiful conversations, yeah. which I would have never done if I was drinking. You know, even if you had a problem, my, I, like a, My two wives, we there were issues. We never talked about them because we'd be mad at each other and then just drink. And then it's like, okay, now we're happy again, right? So it's like all these really big issues that should have been addressed were swept under the rug, right? And it's like, so it's different now. And the gratitude I have for for my mm-hmm. my partner my my love is just like it's it's immense and it's like and it's a direct. director wouldn't have been the same thing, I, i've said know? to her once yeah. like i wish we would have met sooner i wish we would have met 20 years ago and she's like <laughs> she's like there's no way she's like number one i wouldn't have put up with your drunken ass mm-hmm. but because she's a, she's a she's a very successful she's very uh she's just like the greatest person in the world in my eyes and uh so you know she would have never put up with me and my
2: whole new world crazy ways of the The final gratitude guys so i'm so happy that you said the relationship now you're Um, in whatever you're doing please keep doing it Uh, keep sharing keep liking keep reviewing keep rating all those things on whatever platform you're listening to us on because every time you do those things you are helping get me closer to living my best life my best life is spreading the message the message is this if you are in active addiction right now today could be the day today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, go to detox. No, go to a meeting, call into detox. Do whatever the hell it is got to do to get that journey started because it is so much better on the other side. And if you are the loved one of somebody suffering an addiction, you've just taken the time to listen to us ramble on for a while, we very much appreciate that. If you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words,
0: You are loved.
2: That little glimmer of hope. Just might be the thing that brings him back. too old to
0: get arrested,
1: almost died trying to get here. Got high through my best years, got sober, then I relapsed, then I cleaned up, got my head clear. Sometimes it feels like there ain't to believe in, but I believe that we're out here for a reason. Yeah. You don't think you're a fighter? From the pressure I put on myself for years. Tired from my 20s to whiskey bottles and beers. Tired of smiling while I've been holding back tears. But I believe I can do it, so I'm here. I'm a believer. I believe. I'm a believer. Told, I have a death wish. No one's interested, cold and too aggressive. Close to hypertension, I'm broken from the pressure. Explosive with my temper, I'm sober, but I'm stressing and hoping it gets better. Am I falling off? Should I give it up or put it all on pause? Let go of this dream so I can visit home and talk to mom? Maybe all I need is another Instagram post with a quote about believing in yourself when you're low. You don't think you're a fighter, but I know you. I've lost before, but I'm a believer, nothing is impossible, I'm a believer, I believe, I'm a believer, I believe, you don't think you're a fighter, but I know you are, you are alive.